G'day, g'day. This is Rita Joyan and welcome to the Unbox Your Give podcast, how to turn a passion into a profession. If ever you felt a compelling need to support a cause or an organization, my guest today is going to show how to turn a side passion into something that can actually make a huge contribution. My guest today is Samia Zadifi, who has started her own charity from Australia and delivers the charitable work in the most war-torn, shattered countries in existence at the moment, and that happens to be Afghanistan. It's hard enough developing you know, a, an idea or a charity in the country where you live in, but then to do it you know, on the other side of the world in a war-torn country brings its own unique set of challenges. And that's why I wanted Samia so that you can actually see her blueprint how is she delivering a charity from Australia in Afghanistan? What are the things that she's doing? How is she spending the money? Where is the money going towards? These are very important questions, especially because how do you know what's, what's the truth or not? And so I really wanted Samia to come on to discuss the process of her charity, which is called Zadal Zad Children. I'm going to leave all the links to this in the show notes. She... Uh, she came across a, a statistic that 2.5 million children in Afghanistan are unable to attend school. Since reading that statistic, she and her organization have sent 150 children to school and have opened up a sewing school called Zarauzad Design, where 27 women aged 16 to 48 attend three days a week to learn how to sew. And this is based on the charity work. And in addition to all of this, of course, they're providing food, uh, shelter, like tents. These are the everyday things that they're doing, but these are just extra projects they're doing additionally to help the people who are most in need. And so by listening to this podcast, my intention is for you to really get a understanding of how this charity works, to see how when you donate to a charity, what is going on behind the scenes and if you so feel compelled to donate to this charity and to help people in Afghanistan but really if it's for you for you who really wants to see how do I take what I love something that is really pulling at my heartstrings that I have a huge passion for how do I turn that into a cause that I can champion and if that's something that interests you listen to this interview because you're going to learn how to turn a passion for being able to take people out of poverty and turn that into a charity. Enjoy. Welcome to the Unbox Your Gift podcast. As you've heard, guys, I am with Samia Zarifi. And the reason why I've asked her to come on is because the situation in Afghanistan is what it is. The Taliban have just, pardon me, the Americans left yesterday. It's left uh, Afghanistan in a very desperate situation. Uh, they've been in a desperate situation for more than 40 years, but much more so than ever before. And I've asked Samia to come on because she's the one of the charities that's on the ground in Afghanistan. She herself is uh, living in Australia. But I've asked her to come because I want to see, I want to be able to demonstrate how does a charity work? How does it happen when you started out as a passion project? And then how do you get it off the ground when you're living in one country 
And then the actual charity is happening in a completely different country, war-torn, torn to shreds. How do you even get it off the ground and get the funds to the people who need it? So Samia John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank I am, I'm, um, my sister actually sent me a link to your IG account saying, check her out because she's this, this work, because we didn't know who was uh, doing this work, but that fact that someone is on the ground or has contacts on the ground in Afghanistan, providing charitable resources to people who, I mean, there are millions of people who need it. So yeah. you've got a charity called Srauzar children, is that correct? Yes. What does Srauzar mean? It um it basically means gold. Gold. Okay. Yeah. Is that fashionable? Yeah. So um I was just it took me a whole year to actually come up with that mm -hmm. because I was so connected to the whole thing. And um I think the whole reason why I started this was because I was on UNICEF website and they said like there was a whole statement on like there's over 2.5 million children who should be going to school they no longer they are not attending schools either because of where they live either because of their safety or most of them were like girls not being allowed from the parents and i i totally understand i totally understand because of every the way everything was and um, I, I think that's what hit me really hard and I actually started funding everything myself at the beginning, just so I could get people to start having a look at what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I started funding a few families every month where we would meet the children, obviously on the streets, selling as little as like plastic bags, shopping bags, you know, a little comb, little lollies, you know, any of those, or like shoe polishing. We started meeting them, we started talking to them, and we obviously started sending them home. And the whole purpose of that was so they could actually go home for us to support their education. And they, I just think there was nothing better to do than me feeling that, oh, my God, I'm actually sending this child to school for his own future, for her own future, for the country's future, for the parents. You know, like you always like rely on what you do for your kids. Then it comes back to you because then they can actually help you in the future. It's like my dad used to say, um, you don't just grow a seed for no reason. So, um, and that's how I started it. And even though my dad was like, focus on your studies, I've got like 12 units left. I'm like, no, I think this is more important right now, but I will focus on my studies as well. So you're at university at the moment? Yeah. I, I actually changed three times. <laughs> what are you studying? I'm doing fashion design now. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you're studying fashion design. How long has this charity Sarau Zad Children been going on for? Um, I think two years now. Two so years. It's going to be two years, like um, towards the end of this year, actually. Okay. So yeah. you're on the UNICEF site. You're reading statistics about 25 or 2.5 million kids uh, in Afghanistan are not able to attend school. You, yeah. you fund it. You start now. You're in Australia. You live in Sydney, Australia. Yes. But how are you now taking money and sending it to what, who is on the ground that is helping you distribute money? My family. So it's my uncle. Okay. So your yeah. uncle actually takes the money that you sent him and he's on the ground giving it to the people who he knows or he sees is going to benefit from it. Yes. So what we do is um, I do send money overseas. And um, after that, he takes over and then he funds the families that we've been wanting to help from the past few months. And some of the families we do tend to actually give food to if, they, if they're like in a desperate need. 
And then that way, as soon as people see that, you know, these families, they still need help, then we actually collect more funds, then we just keep sending. The whole process is we obviously collect the money and then it gets to like a certain amount. It's like, for example, it's like $2,000. And then we send that over so that way we can find every single family that we possibly can. Um, and that goes for like every month. So it's literally every month. Okay. What yeah. days of the month do you usually send money? Like, is it a specific time? Is it just to keep the routine happening? Or is it just whenever the month funds get to a certain amount? Um, not really that. I actually basically sometimes wait for when the rate is pretty high. Okay. So the transfer, like if I was to say a dollar is 59 today, mostly I look at it on Fridays. And then if it's 59, then I'm like, okay, today's a good time. Okay, I'll just send it from my own money. And then once I get that, then I can have that. So I just send it over and then um, that way we can have more money and we can obviously feed more families. Mm -hmm, inshallah. So, so basically you started off funding this yourself, uh, sending money up to your uncle. Your uncle was finding people to give it to. At what yeah. point did you decide that you wanted to have, build a broader audience and get more people involved to donate? Um, at a point when I saw that I didn't think we we're doing enough. Mm -hmm. I, I think that was that's what was getting to me really bad because I was like, we are sitting here, I know like every single family in Australia can most likely fund a family overseas. And I know for a fact you can do that because there's like all this money that we can go and work for, but that they don't have that. Like overseas, if someone was to go work five, um, eight to five every single day, you know how much they get paid? They get paid 8,000 Afghani, which is like 150 Australian dollars. They live off that money for a whole month. Mm. let alone their expenses like for the medical bills for like school or like the transport half of the money probably just takes over the transport so so it's pretty hard and I just don't know I think I was just so connected I think I'm just really connected like my dad was I used to get him and then I was like I gotta do it they're my people they I'm from that country I belong to those people and I've always been planning to go back but I can't, I can't go back anymore. I don't even know what's going to happen. Mm, yeah. So, so let me ask you this, Samia. Were you born in Afghanistan or were you born? I was. Great. So what, at what age did you migrate to Australia? I think I was like 10, pretty oh. young. Okay. So you remember, that's great, because I was one when I left. So I have zero memory of Afghanistan. I remember being a refugee, but I yeah. don't recall memories. Of, so in Afghanistan, when you were there by the age of 10, like was the poverty... Um, this uh, there was all there's always been poverty but it was the poverty just as much as it is today no so when when we came to Australia that's when we had America I think they had only been there for like a few years mm -hmm. so the other day I was I was just laying down I'm like oh my god I just remembered this I remember and um I was like so all of a sudden I had never known what the Americans looked like what they brought with them what they looked like what they dressed up in because mm -hmm. at that age you're not interested in watching news mm -hmm. one day I see this big ass tank parked in front of our house and then we obviously were excited to see what the hell was happening so I go outside and then we're just like I don't know if I was shocked I don't know I don't know how I felt when I saw them but they started handing out these little boxes of crayons like color pencils really yeah 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 they actually did that so I was really confused and no I wasn't confused because oh my god they're bad people or anything at that age you don't really know you don't know and then that we didn't see there wasn't like what was happening like what's happening from the past few years 
there wasn't that many explosions because I think that's when Hamid Karzai was actually running the country and um, there wasn't any of that but I was just confused I'm like who are these people like why are they in my country they don't look like us it was all of that and then my sister yesterday she's like oh do you remember how they run my foot over with a tire oh oh I know. oh and that's funny were... <laughs> that's funny it's funny oh, She's like, no one cared about me. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many other problems, but the least of the problems. You, you live. You live. <laughs> and yeah. then I was just looking at her, I'm like, oh, you actually remembered that because I reminded her of the crayons. Oh. But now that I'm thinking, like, what the hell was I going to do with those crayons? Mm. I, was, I wasn't really into any of that. They, like, all of that was unwanted. I mean, yes, I'm in Australia, but... In all honesty, no one can come in and fix their country if you don't fix it yourself. Mm. It's like if you have household problems, I mean, you can't have someone else from the outside to come and fix your problems mm. because you got to fix it yourself. No one can force you to talk to someone just because you don't want to talk to them. Mm. And, and that, that, that's, that's what's happening and that's what was happening. So okay. when, you, when you witnessed the Americans coming in with their tanks and giving you crayons, there wasn't, you didn't find that there was the work that they did really alleviated or, um, or helped the, the poverty that was happening in, in Afghanistan. Yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think that was actually helping anyone. Giving, a, giving out crayons was just what, like what a good gesture in what way. Mm. So, I mean, it was nice of them, but I don't know how long that actually lasted because mm. I was in... I don't know it was now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like I can't believe I actually remembered that yeah all of a sudden I just remembered it now like two days ago and so. it's just really interesting that you say that because a lot of Afghans who have left Afghanistan who escaped really that's what the word is escaped everyone yeah. escaped it's very confronting right now because you are being being given back the memories that you had back then living in the fear living in the uncertainty which has just been exacerbated yeah, the current situation in Afghanistan at the moment. But in terms of how does your uncle, I mean, I know that pre-Taliban, so yesterday the Taliban completely now have 100% access of Afghanistan, but if yeah. I can take you back to prior to yesterday, before the Taliban had full control and um, we still still had a presidency, how, like how did your uncle go, so is it solely your uncle that's distributing money or food or tents is he the only one doing that on the ground right now because of what's happening we actually have over seven people helping us and that's all family okay okay yeah did i get a cut for helping out no but i'm um, i was saying that obviously i'll pay them at the end mm-hmm. no not from like the money that we're collecting i'm like just just wait until everything is over which is not going to be over mm-hmm. i'm telling you so when my uncle went i was like when i heard that that's what was happening i'm like you need to go there. I mean, I live in Australia. I can't sleep in the park. Mm. I cannot sleep in the bloody park. Mm. So how are these people actually like staying in that park? You know, like, especially in Afghanistan. And they, he said there's like so many young boys surrounded by the entire park. Then they were just staring at the girls just to have a view of what they were doing. And honestly, because a lot of the people my age, overseas they haven't seen any of that either they they didn't know what taliban were actually like mm-hmm. so i don't really blame the new generations that are actually growing up and um so he said um we need to go there and then when he went the next day i was just like oh i can't 
I'm telling you, Rita, that I cried every night. Mm. I was, it was like, I was like to my mom, like, you know, the way my dad's death actually hit me, this is hitting me the same way. And I was crying every night. I was waking up, waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning and I'm like, what can I even do? I actually couldn't do much. I mean, we live in Australia. We, we think we're in peace. We're not in peace here. Like our heart, we're not in peace. Our brains are like, we're traumatized. Mm. Not because, you know, not because of what, but it's like my people, they are people, they're human beings. They're innocent people. And no one deserves to go through any of that. I was like, I was just, I was like to my mom, I, I didn't speak to my family for like a few good days. I was so depressed and we're in a lockdown. So everything was just like, I can't even go sit with anyone. I can't even go anywhere. The only thing you could do is just like go for a stupid walk. The same walk that you actually go for nearly every day. I was like to my mom, I don't even know how to take it anymore. Like, I just don't even want to live anymore because the way those kids were at the park I'm like I wish I could help them every single day but then you can't really and while everyone else was distributing food and stuff I took over the tents I'm like if I can't live in a park without a tent in Australia these people can't live in a park in Afghanistan without a tent they need their privacy we have distributed over 200 tents to like 200 families from Australia to Afghanistan no 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 like so we have tents in Afghanistan like they're not that good but just for temporary purposes, right. I think it was really good. I wish we could send tents, but tents over here are like so pricey anyways. Yeah, and but, plus the cost of shipping and all that. Yeah, it's too much, especially when you're sending a little thing to against like over $50. Mm-hmm. So imagine sending a tent. But we went on with tents. I was like, even though a lot of people are like, oh, no, don't go with tents. I'm like, you can't tell me what I should be doing. I know how I'm going to feel to actually be in that position because I do a lot of camping my family loves camping and I was like I can't sleep in a tent with a mattress for more than a day for more than a night so how are these people going to do it and we went out we went ahead with tents we went ahead with like dry fruits and fresh food like we actually went and took them apples bananas I'm like this is what they need they are not in taking enough nutritious nutritions right now yeah, and just for our audience's sake, sorry to cut you off, Samia, because when you say park, when if people don't know that once the Taliban entered Afghanistan, people were just panic-driven. They left their homes wherever they were in the countryside, and then they all somehow transported themselves either by foot or by bus or some way to Kabul, which is the capital. And there is a park in Kabul, and they all just they had nowhere to go, but thinking no. that if they stayed in Kabul, at least they would be safe because surely the government won't topple down. And their worst nightmares came true. The government did depart the country, the, the president, and so therefore they were just left with no money, no money to, for transport to go back home, no money for food. They literally had the clothes off on their back. And so that's what Samir is talking about, is that trying to get the tents for these people who have just come in a park because they've got nowhere else to go. I mean, they were just, they were trying to save their life, literally. And yeah. doing so. Um, because they started off, because they started off from Kandahar. Mm. And I think the war was like, the army was obviously like being resistance towards what's happening. And that's why people started to lose their homes, started running away from their homes. A lot of the families, they didn't even actually have shoes. Yes. I mean, I mean, think about it. Like, how is this even happening in 2021 you know and when I tell you that we have actually sent three buses back home 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Three whole coaches. When I say coaches, 25, 26 families fit in one coach. And every single, the first bus, I feel bad that I should have given them more, but my money is not going to do anything for them. It's just like one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. But even that, like we gave them 10,000 Afghani and we got them onto the bus. We obviously um, covered the cost for the buses as well and sent them home. But how do I know how they are after this? Mm. Most of these people lost their businesses. Their businesses were actually burned down. And I don't know, a lot of the families actually wanted to stay in Kabul, but it's so hard to get rent. It's not easy. Ah, yeah, of course, it's the capital city. It's expensive. But I, I'm curious to know, Samir, like, and of course, so many of them would have gone back and God only knows if they can get out and get any food. Because um, I know that in Afghanistan, now that the Taliban are in, you cannot leave your house without a chaperone. So for widows who don't have a male companion, I don't yep. know how, what they're going to do. People who don't have a father, a brother, a husband, a son, if you're a female and you live alone, you cannot leave the house alone. Yeah, no, you can't. You, you can't. And I think that's what's bothering most of the females. Mm-hmm. And and I, I mean, we live in Australia. We can get out. We can go anywhere. But I, I just, I just don't even know how to say it anymore. Like my cousins back home, they're like, like where we don't know what to do. Our dreams are shattered. Yeah. And you were saying to me before the interview, your cousins are actually work at the university. Yeah. They teach at the universities. They actually um, work as a really high post. And right now everyone's concerned about their safety. And and I would be as well. Some people are like, oh, well, why didn't you go back and live there? I'm like, excuse me, I don't want to have unlawful death. Mm. No way. Like a death that no one knows how to answer to it. Like who's going to stand up for my death? Like, no Mm. no one wants that and I don't want that happening to anyone either so like these families that we're sending back I was like I spoke to one of the um widow I'm like because she said she doesn't have a husband so some families I did secure spots for so like we do have like if my auntie like she's got a double story I'm like look I'm gonna rent this from you you know but we're not showing that on my Instagram page only because I don't Think it's actually safe yeah of course, of course. And, and i'm concerned for their safety and some people are like can you give me the phone numbers i'm like i'm sorry just run through my charity whatever you want but there's going to be no phone numbers given there's going to be no addresses given because it is not safe and her being a widow with seven kids mm. seven children and i was like no so we're just securing like some rental spots for some families because they're like we don't have anywhere to go to so, so when you say to, to go back to the process of the charity that there is um, seven seven kids of a widow, does your uncle send you names, or does he just send you n- numbers of people, three women, two, ten children, for you to be able to here in Australia be able to calculate the numbers and how much you can send? Is that what goes on? I actually connect with the families myself. So this, oh, how do you get, get in contact with the families? Because they, they do they have mobile phones? So they do have the little button phones. Button phone. Most of the women they have the button phones. Okay. So I have all of their numbers. I'm telling you, I've been calling so much that every month or like from the past three months, my phone bill goes over $200. <laughs> yeah, like it's so bad because Vodafone used to have three minutes to Afghanistan, but then that actually cut off three years ago, four years ago. Right. So right. that kind of like pisses me off. And then WhatsApp, most of the families don't have it. They can't afford it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I actually try to connect with them myself. 
Okay. And sometimes if they need that extra help, then I tell the person that's sponsoring that family, I'm like, look, this is what they're struggling with. Would you be able to spare like some more money for this month or next month? Some of my sponsors are amazing. Actually, most of them are amazing because when it's like Eid or like when it's winter coming, and when I say like these families don't have clothes, they actually want to spend extra. Mm. They are like, okay, then I'm going to transfer this much. And then it just stays at that limit. That money, like if someone's giving me like 150 a month, it just stays like that or like 200 or 250. Okay. So, so Samia, explain to me the from, if someone's listening to this, because I was having a conversation yesterday, just yesterday, and they asked me, who am I having on the podcast? And I said, there's a, a, a lady who's got a charity um, that runs it from Sydney, but the charity is in actually Afghanistan. And she said to me, well, I don't think that can work. I don't know how she's getting money there because the banks are backed up. You can't access the bank. The people on the ground in Afghanistan cannot withdraw their money. Yeah. So she was, she was questioning and thinking, so I want to, for someone who's thinking, how can this possibly be? Can you give us a clear understanding of from the moment in, um, someone donates and it lands in the account, in your account, what is the step-by-step -step process that happens from the yeah. time that you're calling them, being in contact with them to the moment you're handing your, um, your uncle the money to them purchasing to get it to the person? Please tell us what's going on in the process so we are clear on that. Okay, so we did go through the crisis of not being able to send money for three days when the Taliban took over. I mean, everyone just shut down for their own safety. So people start like don't start looting the shops or the money or like the banks. And uh, what we do is in advance, I do have like two grand sitting there. So like for emergency, I didn't know this day was going to come. So we have that. And then what we did was so we when I first started this, I actually started a contract with one of the shopkeepers where I said, even if we don't have money, I still want you to lend me the food and obviously we'll get the money at the end. So there's two contracts we have where one's for the wholesaler and one's just for our normal shop. Mm -hmm. And they, as soon as I ring them or like my uncle just goes over and then he's got the food. So we, we do not have any issues with supplying them food because money we can transfer at any time. Okay. And, and what we did was we did borrow money as well from family overseas. I was like, oh, you know, you guys are not going anywhere. There's no flight. <laughs> so let me just borrow the money and make a good um, thing of it. And they were really nice about it. So this is what happens. The process is Western Union doesn't work anymore. MoneyGram doesn't work anymore. I've never used Western Union. I think they just charge too much. Mm -hmm. And um, what we say, you know how that word hawala, transfer. Mm -hmm. So we know someone that can actually send our money overseas for us. And he doesn't even charge me. So like, it's so nice of him. He used to charge me, but now he's like, I think I need to stop charging you. So you have your own contact who does that? Yes. Yes. So I just ring him or I message him like, this is the amount, this is the amount of money I want you to send today. I will tell him in the morning and then my uncle can pick it up. So he sends it over and we did have issues with that for two days as well. He's like, it's just not safe for us to open up our shop mm -hmm. because we're scared. Like someone just come and take all the money from us. Mm -hmm. And we do that. And then as soon as the money gets there, sometimes we actually, what we do is before the money even gets there, we do distribute foods to the families because we don't want to wait on it. Mm -hmm. We're like, okay, so these families don't have food, give it to them. Once the money comes over, then we can give it to the shopkeeper. Okay. Yeah. So we and don't at what point do you get access to their contact details? 
Um, as soon as my uncle actually goes over, he sends me every video. I have so many videos. I have so many photos. Most of it I don't really share because I just think, so to, okay, so when I have sponsors, if they say, if they send me money, they're like, okay, I want this 10,000 to go to this family. Yeah. What I do is we make a video of that and that video just goes to that person. Yeah. So they know that the money went to them. Yeah. And the photos and videos I get as soon as my uncle actually visits them on that day. And I'm eagerly waiting every single day. I'm like, oh, come on, just send it, just send it. Yeah. And the internet of Yensen is not really that good either. Mm -hmm. So as soon as he sends it over, then I go through all the videos, all the photos, and I decide which one I should be uploading onto the internet. Okay. And yeah. then where you upload it is on your Instagram account. And for yeah. those who would like to check it out, um, it's uh, S-R-O-W-Z-A-R, -R, children, and it's on Instagram. And I'll put it in the show notes so someone can just, who's reading the show notes can click on it and just be taken to it straight away. Yeah. Um, so, so, that, so basically that's what goes on. When your uncle goes, he gets their contact details of the individuals who need the resources or the, the charitable work. And then yeah. that's where you get in contact with them. Yes. And what conversation are you having with this? Just what do you need? Where are you? What, is that what's, what's going on in the conversations? With the families? Yeah. Oh, I'm very emotional when I just get so emotional when I speak to them. So when I am speaking to them, I do ask them how they are or like, what is their situation? The amount of children they have, are they renting or is the house owned by themselves? Oh. So um, as soon as I know that it's their own house, then I think about, okay, okay, if this is their own house and maybe they can start something little within their own house. We have worked on one of the families that I've got. Um, so the husband was in army and he obviously passed away, I think three years ago. And I was, I've, been I've been working to open up a shop for them from their own house. Mm -hmm. So that way, Rita, as much as I want to help these families, at the end of the day, I don't want them to wait on me. I don't want, I want them to be independent. Mm -hmm. I want them to make their own money so they know like how to actually make it mm -hmm. instead of like waiting on someone. Oh, we're so hungry. We missed out on this day. We need to get food. So that's, so that's my second uh, thing what I've been working on. People that have their own houses, we are actually planning to build shops for them, just like a little shop front mm -hmm. so the son can go and work. So we have started on one of them, but oh, because wow. Taliban took over, it's, we just haven't finished the work. It's not, my uncle's like, I'm not scared of them. Okay. So when I talk to them, they kind of give me like some hope. He's like, I'm telling you, you don't understand how safe I am right now. Like, or how safe I'm feeling right now. Really? Yeah. 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 He's like, my phone, no one is snatching it off me. My bags, I've got it on me. In that sense, everything is good. He's like, no one is stealing from you. Guys are not staring at girls. There's no singing. Like I remember when I went to Afghanistan, these people, the way they would sing at you or like the way they would wink at you and like blow their whistles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's none of that anymore. Thank God there's none of that. But the worst part is just like the education part and the freedom for women. Okay. Okay. So, so pre-Taliban, your uh, your uncle was able to go. Now, post-Taliban, I know it's only been a few days, but your uncle feels safe to go and actually distribute. Yeah. Yeah. Before before that, he um, there's been so many people that actually have been killed just because they've been on the phone. So people oh. would actually come and snatch their phones, actually get them off their motorbikes and oh. stuff like that. So he's like. That's that one thing I feel relieved so I can speak to you over the phone whenever, like wherever I am. 
So I think that's what he was probably talking about. That's amazing. You know, I was thinking just just on a side note here, Samia, I was thinking about obviously the women in Afghanistan and the Taliban, you know, the, I just feel like being not being able to go and get educated or to go to work or be out of the house. Um, I, I, I think by the same token, when you're around men who are not educated or do not understand who, I just think there's a protection for women at the moment, not forever, but yeah. just to be in the house because you don't know the level of morality of people who are just, you know, with guns and walking around. Like there's the, one of the Taliban, and there's, there's no, I'm not defending Taliban, I'm just speaking for, for the women's situation that he said, we just need to educate the soldiers, which was their Taliban, that these are women and the fact that how they should conduct themselves. Yeah. So that there's, you know what, do you know where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah. There's a different way to conduct yourself with a female. And so for their protection, by the time that we get them up and running, we just want them to be at home. That's what one of them said. I'm not saying that's the right or I'm just saying, I appreciate that they're looking at it from that angle and God willing, that they keep to it and that they let them know how to actually interact with them so they can do leave the house, so they can earn a living and they can get educated. But I just think, like you were saying before, someone's on the phone, you could get killed for your mobile phone. Yeah. It would be worse for a female. And, and I know, I mean, I'm not going to defend them because at the moment I'm just so angry at them the whole thing. Yeah, but I know like they're saying it's just not safe for them to come out mm. because... You just don't know. Yeah. But then at the same time, what makes me so angry is then why are these people at the front? Like, why are they even like dealing with, especially like Kabul. Kabul is such a big city. When I tell you, when you walk around the streets, there's like, there's like so many people. There are so many people. And the fact that they're not trained properly, like that's their fault. Yeah, of course. And, and I understand them like, okay, then send people that are trained. Mm, but mm. then there's some that are actually speaking very nicely yeah yeah right. i've seen videos of some of them who are just very well spoken and it's just it's it just doesn't feel but then you know what i was thinking the entire attention is on kabul right now yeah. they have sent all the educated ones mm. all the ones that can actually speak to people mm. are in kabul it's yeah yeah so it's it's, it's it, things to develop at the moment but um God, it's an, it's an unfolding situation. Now, I know that you've got a sewing school for, le for the females in Afghanistan. Yeah. How is that? Has that been closed at the moment? It was closed because of COVID-19, but we have actually started operating again. Where, where, are you allowed to tell me where that's located or just for, for security reasons you want to keep that? Low? So I want what I'm focusing on right now is the city has everything. We're in, like where I'm focusing, it's actually in a village where we have people that are, at the, the, the elder one we have is like a 48. She's mm. a widow. She really wants to learn. And um, so what we're doing is we're just providing them with the skills that they can actually use even for their own family, yeah. for their own children. This one is in a village and we are thinking about opening something very, very, very big okay. in the same village. Only because it's pretty far from the city. People are not going to actually travel. And um, just to avoid traveling for like over 15, 20 minutes. So we're going to go back and build something else there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're not sure what it's going to be, but I just really want to focus on women. Yeah. And I, would, I just want to focus on girls that 
are gonna finish their um, studies after year 12, then they can actually go do something else after year 12. They can learn something new so they can actually come back and work with us. And most of the, our graduates, as soon as like they're graduating the last week, we do send them home with fabrics for their take-home exam. And then, then we use those clothes for the children. Wow. So like, yeah, I'm not trying, like I wasn't being selfish or anything. I'm like, look, it's your exam, make me clothes and it's done. Mm. So then we take over the clothes and then we just hand them out to people for Eids or like if it's not during Eid, then it's just like given to the families that we're supporting or like anyone that comes, then we come across. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's, that's amazing. I mean, what other skills do you think other than sewing would be helpful for people if, if the resources could be built, like other than sewing, is there any other skill that anyone's shown interest or that you know would be a benefit? I was thinking about bakery. Like baking would be something really, 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 it's not really, it's not really big in Afghanistan and it's not, it's, there's nothing with bakery where I'm actually focusing on. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe it could either be run by women or just so we could actually bring in 10 people to come and work with us so they can financially support themselves and their families. Or even like if we have kids over the age of 14 come in and work and then go to school as well on part-time basis. I literally just want to, the culture we have here within a company, I actually want to kind of transform that or like transfer that back to Afghanistan so people know how we're living. I mean, I started work at the age of 14. So you're not, yeah, you're not too little. Mm. as long as you can go and study 14 is the best and the best 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 age for you to actually go to work mm -hmm. I love that so is this a full-time or is it a, a side passion for you a part-time side passion I think it's becoming full-time now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have no yeah. time for anyone so like my when I have my friends messaging me thank god it's COVID-19 because I don't think I, I would be able to go out as well and um, I think it's becoming full-time and mm -hmm. I don't really mind it yeah. I'm so how much? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. How much time are you? So because it's becoming full time, because just the need has increased. Just someone who is listening to this and thinking, you know, I would like to start a charity, base it in the country that I'm in, but to give it the, the resources somewhere else. Does the charity need to be registered for that to happen? I only just did that now. So um, I only just applied for it two days ago. Okay. When I when I first started, when I spoke to um ACNC, they said if we're not raising over like 50 or like over 30 a year, there isn't really a need. Thousand dollars? Is that thousand? Okay. Yeah. So now that I was looking, I was like, I think it's the best time because we're getting big charities. Like we're getting people to um transfer big money. Mm. Then I'm like, maybe they can actually tax deduct it. So that way it's it's better for them and it's better for us as well. But yeah, we are gonna be registered soon. I'm actually really happy. I'm stress-free as well. You know, I'm so it's only because just to avoid those extra dramas that are actually going to come up. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And it's to safeguard you at the end of the day. It's to safeguard you. So currently, are there any admin costs or any costs that, you know, so for people that are, that are because this is the thing, Samia, there's so many charities that are frauds. They act as charities, but they're not. And especially when things are, such as the situation in Afghanistan merges, then these things come out of the woodwork, you know, people who are supposed to be charitable but really are not being charitable. And that's why I've wanted you on the podcast so that we can see, open up the complete hatchet of how you would function with it, how you actually proceed with the charity. And that's why my, my question is, are there admin fees so that people are completely clear? There's no admin fees. 
at all at all no they there isn't any admin fees only because why would i take away from people that are actually in need mm. and and i don't think i can do that but yes if i do want to um help anyone like even if someone's like coming in and helping us for a day or two that goes out of my pocket okay i just i just don't want to add any admin fee to what we're raising and i will never do it and i just hope when this continues for like 50 60 70 years i hope my kids don't do that because i do want this to actually last and for this to actually last, I need to focus on focusing on our future generations in Afghanistan. And that will be to actually get them to do things, learn things, have skills, have um, just like for their own future. I mean, if I'm going to get educated, it's good for me and my children because they're going to have a mother that's educated, mm. you know. So I think that's what I my main focus is, even though like I've sponsored these families every month, I don't feel good about that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just like, why? Like, I'm only just giving them food. I mean, food is necessity. Food is important. But I want them to stand on their own feet. Mm -hmm. That I think that's my main purpose. Yeah. And my family backing me up every single time, their ideas and everything is probably like one of the best things I've actually come across. I love that. So what makes Srauzar Children, the charity that you run, different from any other charity that anyone would donate to? to send funds to Afghanistan? What makes you different, better, effective? Why you are not another charity? We're not always about photos or videos. We don't actually have someone else going with us doing, um, I know a lot of charities, they've got like another person holding the camera or I just want my uncle to do everything by himself. I want him, to, I, I was telling him, he's like, oh, but why don't we just, I'm like, no, I don't want to pay anyone. Even if that money coming out of my pocket, I want that to go towards the families. My main focus isn't about my work, like seeing by other people, like showing to other people. I think it's because I'm so connected, like from my heart, that I actually just want to help them in a way that they can learn something. They, I want them to edu I want them to get educated. Even like I have a student who wanted to sit for her year 12 exam again. And I'm like, yes, why not? If she wants to go to uni, that's good for us and that's good for her future and that's good for Afghanistan so I think for us our focus isn't just feeding families our focus was and it still is and it still will be to actually send children to school and most of the families we do check up on them only because when we tell them the only way we're going to help them you like help you every month is if you were to send your daughter and your mm -hmm. sons to school and if we we did find a family that actually didn't we went up to them Mm. I was like to my uncle, I'm like, I do not care. The whole purpose of this is because I want their kids to go to school. And, and there we go. And then she started. And I was like to her, I'm like, for us, it's not about money. It's not about me giving you food. For me, it's me. I feel emotionally upset. Like I just, I just get so sad when I find out that their kids are not going to school. Mm -hmm. Like one of my cousins, she was so smart. She did really good in her HSE, but after that, she couldn't go to uni because of where she was living. And I was so angry at her dad. Mm -hmm. I'm like, move to the city, bring her to one of my other cousins' house. She can go to uni from there, but, but no. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that, that is the reality of it. So yeah. let me ask you this. Um, knowing, knowing that you guys want to do more, you, your long-term vision is to actually get people independent, get them skills. 
yeah. to be able to you know, be self-sufficient, which is their ultimate dream as well. I mean, nobody wants to get anything from anyone. No one wants to owe it. You know, I mean, everyone wants to be independent. It's the nature of a human I being. I would hate, like, Rita, I would hate to rely on anyone. Yes, exactly. You know, exactly. like, as a, as, as a girl, as, you know, as a woman, I would hate for anyone to feel that they need us. Mm. I don't want them to feel like that. And, and I, that's because I wouldn't want to feel like that. Yeah. If I don't want to feel like that, I don't want them to feel like that. Mm-hmm. And if I'm thinking about their future, I want them to go to school and do all of that. I think that's what we're about. I know a lot of charities have picked up that from us. And I'm glad that they have because I can see that they have done it. And I, I feel happy. I'm like, look, they are doing it because I have done it because I am doing it. You know, for me, it's not about giving them food. For me, it's about them learning something. I'm, I want them to go to school. I'm just so passionate that they should be going to school. Why not? Yeah. Like, why? Like, why not? Like, why shouldn't they be going to school every single day? You know, the sad part is the schools only go for like four hours. Oh, really? I don't know if you knew, but what? there's like three sessions. There's like three sessions per day, unless you go to a private school or like another school that's supported by like the government, like properly, then you go to school for a full day. So, so what are the chances? I know you said the internet, I mean, obviously there's not great, you know, internet connection in Afghanistan, but what are the chances for online learning where someone could actually teach from Australia and then like, is that a possibility or it's just the internet connection would just not allow that? The internet's actually, I don't think the internet's going to allow that. Hmm. I mean, you can't even speak on WhatsApp. Mm. it goes up like it just cuts down and then let alone being on a video with them yeah get really frustrated I get really frustrated when I'm like okay I want to see these families I want to see them I want to see like so my sewing my sewing school I do not upload any of the photos yeah. and I think it's because I'm just funding it myself and I don't need to show it to anyone um but I do upload what work they do or like how much, like how much they've actually improved compared to the first week. Yeah, yeah. But I also think for security purposes, I think it's important to keep the anonymity of the people and the location. Yeah, yeah. And no one knows where my school is located. (laughs) So it's it's not a school. I've just hired like this huge um, room from someone's house and I renovated it. And I had someone actually be so nice about it. They actually paid for the entire sewing machines yeah wow. she, she was from she's from uk she funded all my sewing machines and we're just doing it like we're did just, you put we're, the word out saying i'm this isn't the, the dream i've got and then someone said hey look i want to add yeah. to the dream oh wow I, I, I posted on my story i'm like i can't believe this i was actually so happy wow amazing and then there's the sewing teacher she's actually in afghanistan obviously like she's teaching face to face i've got i've got three teachers so when we first when we first said that we're gonna start I actually thought I wouldn't even have that many people come Mm. but then I had over 90 women show up over 90 so the first session when we did I was like we're only new to this Mm. even though two of my teachers they are actually well experienced because they've actually taught at one of the American sewing um they had it for like one of I don't know what it was for but they did some sort of project where they hired like all these girls to teach at their schools right Two of them are educated and they know how to actually teach them. They're full show it. The way we're learning it here, that's how we're teaching it there. Right. Whiteboard, draw, measurements, everything is on there. Nice. So um, I actually forgot what. Yeah, so it started off with 90, 90 girls, like 90. 
So from the age of 16 until the age of 48. And then we, we were like, okay, we can't do 90 for the first time. Mm. We took in um, 18 of them. And then the second oh, of how hard. Oh my God. I know. But but I didn't I wanted to give them the quality. Yes, no, no. I look, I understand. Yeah. I just I just yeah. how do you learn? How do you do that? Yes, I was like, I even though they were like, oh no, just let us come, you know. And I'm like, no, this is not gonna have it's going to work. I want you guys to learn properly. I don't want to just come in and be like left behind or left out that you didn't teach properly or you didn't learn properly mm. so we only took 18 for the first one and 27 so we're like in a third um year now wow yeah two of them are graduated already this graduation ceremony didn't go ahead because of COVID-19 and um we're going to do that with this like with and, these other guys. I, I love that. and so the teachers that you found to actually teach the three teachers that's through your uncle he sourced them I sourced them myself how did you source them here in Australia? Because um, I have been back and forth. Like when I say back and forth, I've been there like six times, nearly every second year, every year. And I have been to universities with my cousins. I've, I've actually seen enough. And then we had, I think, five people to pick from. And then even though like family and stuff, like, you know how you're like, oh, the family wants, if you don't hire the family, what happens? They don't like you anymore. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, I was like, I'm going to pick myself. I want to teach, I want these girls to actually learn everything properly instead of just having someone that I know who doesn't know how to actually teach. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's just, um, it's amazing. I actually find what you're doing incredible. Um, I wanted to also just ask you, the fact that the distribution is just your uncle at the moment, this is becoming your full-time passion project. For someone who's listening to this and thinking, I'd like to do what you do, but how can I possibly um, support myself and then also start a charity that might need, might, will need the person's own funding before it takes off and other people start. So what are you doing to balance that too, you know, provide income for yourself to to live and then also be able to fund like for example the sewing school like how are you actually balancing what are you doing are you do you have another job are you um is it because you can live with you know mum that allows you to do that like what is it that I can see someone else seeing you so that they can plan their life and style around it it's it's not easy I mean some people think that charity running a charity is easy it's actually so hard but um when I say full-time I could be running my charity full-time and working still Mm. so now I'm going to start working with my older brother who's an um, immigration lawyer and both of my siblings are solicitors fantastic timing they've offered <laughs> me you know I'm like look you should be happy that I'm working with you <laughs> and it's work from home so I don't mind it and I'm just I'm going to start with them maybe I'll change my degree again maybe not because I, I really want to change it only because I I just want to go to those detention centers and bring out all those Afghans that needs to be out. So it's going to be hard, but yeah, you can support yourself. I mean, sometimes when I do my charity work, I was, so when the whole Taliban took over, it was like 11 hours a day, mm. 11 hours a day. It's not easy. It's so hard. You're just glued to your phone and you're watching the news. You don't know what's happening. And then you're speaking to people overseas. They're like, Oh, it's so quiet. I'm like, this is not the kind of piece you want yeah this is dangerous piece because you don't know what's gonna happen but you can work you, you I mean you can't be running a charity where you're not getting paid 
Mm. And then not having a job, how are you going to support yourself? Mm. And you're thinking about supporting others. Yeah, yeah. You got to support yourself, and then that, so you don't have that stress level. Do you recommend to have a job? May have let that fund you, and so like if you want to take out of that, then you can. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, if you don't have a job, if you can't support your own self, how are you going to support other families? Mm. How are you going to even be be able to like pay your bills? Mm. So, so it's not easy. You have to work. You can't, you can't just like not go to work and then sit on the phone the whole time. You Which would to... be easy to do because like your part strings are pulling because of the situation is just unfolding before yeah. our eyes on TV yeah, and on social media. Now, are you on any other social that you share your work other than Instagram is always just on Instagram? I am on TikTok, but not quite often. And I am on Facebook as well. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, just the question that you, you mentioned before that your dad um, may God rest his soul. I mean, passed away. Yeah. Is that in Afghanistan? No, yeah. He passed away. He, his, I hate the month of August. Now I hate it even more. So he actually passed away two years ago, 29th. 20, he passed away on the 28th of August. And we couldn't, he, he died from a heart attack. But I was like to my mom, I'm so glad he didn't get to see this day again. Mm. I mean, for someone to say that you have to have such a big heart because you're like, you would wish for your dad to be here, but then at the same time, you don't want him to be here because look at what we're going through. You know, I wonder what my dad would have gone through. Mm. You know, it's, it's hard. And it did, I'm telling you, it hit me so hard. Yeah. My entire family, every, I, I think not just me, every single Afghan. It was a standstill. It literally felt like a standstill. Like I, I, I felt it was because I live in Canberra it was cold the day was just so cold and I was sitting in front of the heater and literally um I just didn't I didn't know there was just guilt that over just over over just overwhelmed you know because I'm here I'm got the blessing of being here there are literally people like in just panic-stricken mode yeah. and just, you cannot fathom what has happened and I mean, there's so many emotions that come up. I mean, I'm not even explaining it properly, but there was like, it was just, for, I was just literally frozen, really. Like, I just didn't, is this real? Like, we weren't it, expecting it. Like, no, I don't think no any of us was actually expecting it. Because even like until they didn't take over, like Kabul, I was like, yeah, these piece of idiots are not going to take over. Yeah. But then it was, it was already done, Rita. Like, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. when we were talking about it, as soon as we saw the whole Doha thing, I was just like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, we're sold out. Like, we're done. Well, well I mean, um, Ahmad Masood, who is the son of Ahmad Shah Masood, who is leading a resistance in the pain share. But is he actually? Is he? Well, I, yeah, um, I mean, he's, he's not. You don't I, don't, he's I, don't, I don't think anyone can actually resist what's happening right now. Well, not fighting, but just take it. He's in pain shed and he's just he's just there as a, an alternative. And he's trying to, with di- diplomacy, get access and engage with the Taliban. That, well, that's from his speeches and his interviews. But, but what's remarkable is what he said in one of his interviews was that, um, and it, I believe it's very true, that the Taliban really um, are thirsty for international recognition. And so if America, if Canada, if Australia, if the international powers that be give recognition to a government that is just appeared straight away, that is going to give them a legitimacy. And so what we are looking at is are other international countries going to give the Taliban, you know, the right of government and look after them as a real 
justifiable governing body in Afghanistan. And that's where the rubber will meet the road more so than ever because past the last time they came, they didn't have that. And this is really what they're looking for is an international, I guess, embrace. from. I think in a way, like we don't know, but I think they already have that. You think? You think they've got that? Yeah, I, I mean, the way things are going, the way all these media, like all the Al Jazeera, like all these people are in Afghanistan, for what? I mean, Taliban's have been trending from the past few weeks. Mm -hmm. They're not just trending for no reason because these big countries, they want them to be trending. And, and I, I have a feeling it will, like they will get recognised. And uh, in a way, I just think that economy will actually boost for Afghanistan for the first time compared to before. I, I, I hope so. I just, I really, you know, they say that the first casualty of war is the truth. And I really believe the truth of it is in the hearts of the person who has worked their whole life, who is that innocent one. That's the who holds the truth. Yeah. And I, I pray to God Almighty that they are given a relief, a release of this pressure that this pressure cooker that has been given to them for, for all their life. Yeah. And you've been grown up in war. If you've lived in Afghanistan, you're, you've known nothing but war. And that I pray that if they do succeed, if the Taliban are the ruling body, they, for the sake of the people who live and who've always had to be at, at the actual, the, the end of the barrel, literally be at the end of the barrel, because for their sake, for it to do well, because they just, it's just, it's beyond exhaustion now. Everyone's just beyond exhausted. The I mean, my mom was telling me when the Taliban actually took over in the 90s, mm. the, the value for the money dropped. Mm. But now it dropped on that day, the day before it dropped. But now we're still sitting on the same amount of mm. transfer. Like you so say, if it's $1.59, yeah. it's still 59 And I, I think that's why I was just thinking, I'm like, oh my God, the economy is just going to boost because I have a feeling everyone's just going to recognize these idiots. But <laughs> and in a way, I was just telling my sister, I'm like, look, if their government is stable and if they can actually run Afghanistan in a good way, then yes, I will go travel next year. I will definitely go travel next year. Not because for them, but for my own self, for my own country, for my own people. I, I would go. Mm. And to help the economy, you traveling there would actually boost the economy, you know, yeah. <laughs> somewhere, you buy things. No, I, I absolutely love that. Is there anything that um, I haven't asked that you feel would people would need to know about the charity and what you're doing? Is there anything that hasn't been covered that you could have people rest assured that what your work is legit and helping the people is, it's the real deal? Um. I, I think we actually covered everything, but I, I, the only concern I have is mm. that the entire attention is on Kabul. Yeah. I just wonder what's actually happening in every other city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everything is just on mute. Everything, you, I mean, all the news reporters, all the YouTubers, the vloggers, they're all in Kabul. Mm. I wonder why because they don't want to attend like they don't want people to pay attention on all the other cities but I don't I did speak to like a few other people like they sit like the like from Badakhshan they're like oh it's so quiet right. it's so quiet in Mazar Sharif it's actually really quiet some people are saying that this is happening that's happening and then someone just had like the Black Hawk um, helicopter that there was someone hanging down the helicopter 
I think a lot of people need to like do their own research on what they need to believe and whatnot. And then I saw the helicopter, the, the guy is hanging on a zip line. Mm. It, it's not done by Taliban. I'm not defending them, but I'm just saying that it, it is hurting us only because some people are actually believing it. I was like to my friend, I'm like, why the hell would you believe that? That's not true. These people can't even fly a helicopter yet. <laughs> they can't. I'm like, they need the skills and they don't have the skills yet. So yeah. this this didn't happen. That's from like something, like it's from somewhere else, somewhere else. So she's like, yeah, but you know this. I'm like, it's not, relax. But one more thing I do want Australia to actually do is be more involved. You know, like I want them to be more involved in like bringing more people here. You know, like giving oh, these 3,000 a person quota that the immigration uh, minister said. Do you think, I mean, every other country, America and Canada said 20,000, Australia said 3,000. Yeah. Um, I think I think this should be a real clear emphasis to just let the people who are in detention. I mean, you can't go back to Afghanistan. It's proven. It's back now. You can't yeah. go I just think that the people in detention should be given, like, you've got to go back. I mean, because they wouldn't be in detention if they were proven as a threat. They're in detention. Yeah because they are, they've been cleared, they're no threat, but they can now contribute. But for whatever political reason, football, that refugee, you know, topic is yeah. and has become, it's, it's just like, you know, it's, it's like plain as the nose on your face, like they cannot go back. So what are you going to do, have them in detention for the rest of their life? I think that's I think that's what could be another way of actually doing something good for the Afghans because my older brother he does go and visit that I mean now he can't because of COVID-19 but he's helped over like 10 people come out of those detention centers wow. most of them are there for no reason yeah. there's no like the people that are actually committing real crimes when I say real like real crimes and then you read about these people I'm like why the hell are they even in there so maybe Scott Morrison can actually focus on that and bring more people out of the detention center so they can actually support their families back home yeah. if they've got families overseas. And if he doesn't do any of that, then what's the whole point of him even being yeah. you know, a prime minister? Like, don't even run the country. <laughs> We're in a stupid lockdown for the past six weeks. <laughs> Been a long time. But let me ask you this before we wrap up. I wanted to find out. There are a lot of people who have become refugees in Pakistan and Iran. And I was reading that the treatment of Afghan refugees in Pakistan and Iran is you know, less than nice. And um, those, I read a story about a journalist who had gone to Turkey and found two, um, two three Afghan teenagers working in a dump in Turkey because they had no status, they've got no uh, legal right to work. And so they're working in a dump, in a literal yeah. rubbish dump trying to source food and the journalist was saying, even though I was in a rubbish dump, these boys managed to find a paper cup and find an unopened bottle of Fanta and pour me a cup. And that's Afghan hospitality, you know, because she had lived in Afghanistan. So my question to you is, do you know with your contacts? Yes, there are people in Afghanistan, but there are dire situations even for Afghans who have become refugees as a result. Are there, do you know, are you in communication with any of those people? Do you know what their needs would be and how to get access to food and resources to them? Um, I know there's a guy with the name of Horace. He recently was going to go to Kabul, but he obviously didn't think that Taliban were going to take over, but then he ended up going to Turkey. Right. And what you just told me, hmm. he went and that's what they were literally, I think they were separating plastic and cardboard from each other I think that's what they were doing and I'm I'm telling you 
okay, don't do anything good in this world, but what's going to happen in the, the hereafter? Mm-hmm. Like, how are you going to answer to that? And when he was showing me the way they were living, if you actually go to, I'm going to send you his page on your thing, on Instagram, and then you can have a look at it. I was so upset. I'm like, okay, they went through this hard time going from one country to another, come to Turkey, and then that's how they treat them. They are mistreating them. Do you know how much money Turkey is actually making from Afghanistan, like from Afghanistan, from the Afghans? All the wedding dresses, all these dresses, they come from Turkey. And yet they don't have the decency to actually help Afghans. They're not helping Afghans. Like, what the hell is it? Like, they're becoming dumb stars. I mean, what what even is that? I didn't even think that stuff even actually existed. Mm. Or like, I didn't even think there was like an old man mm. with no family. And the way they were living, they literally had like this little toilet, like a small room. And then you had over like 20, 15 people living in that one little space. Mm. So um, he went and then he's like, he's going to work there. I spoke to someone from Iran two weeks ago and then he got into contact with me last week. He was saying that, I'm not allowed to work, but this is a contact. If you could actually help us, there's like a few families, but every time the thing with Iran is because they have been sanctioned. I don't know how to actually send them money. So um, I was like, you need to be clear about how do you want to send the money over? Because right now you're not really helping me. And I've been so busy with everything else that, I mean, at least they're safe. Yeah. I can think about that, that they're safe. Mm. Because people in Afghanistan are not safe. Their life can be in danger. They're hungry. There's no jobs. The poverty is going to increase if the economy doesn't actually boost. So do you do any checks or balances or, or, you know, I don't know how you would, I don't think you can, when someone contacts you to make sure they're a legitimate person who needs help, like outside of Afghanistan and not someone just taking you for a ride? Like, is there any way you can decipher that? I So with this guy that I'm actually going to send money to, I'm going to send it from my own account only because I'm like, if it does, okay. if he's lying, yeah. but right now I'm just kind of like trusting everyone. Yeah. yeah. He did say that they've just come to Iran with his family and he did send me photos and videos of all these other families as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are actually waiting in front of the, um, what is it called? UNCHR mm-hmm. in Iran. I think in India as well, in front of it, some are actually sleeping in front of those companies that's what pisses me off the most that they actually get the admin costs they get all the money they need everyone's donating to them because they're trustworthy but at the park when we went none of them were actually there really they're only so on the day even when taliban arrived we were still delivering like we were still doing that but my uncle's like so you and chr have their own tents we did not see any of that we didn't see that it's all of us, it's like these little charities that are actually contributing to everything on the ground right now. I haven't seen any. Is that because you think they couldn't get in and you and HCR couldn't? I mean, sure. Yeah, I think they were thinking about their safety because when we started off with the park in Saroy Shamali, basically these are the people that actually come came from Kunduz, Badakhshan, Kandahar, and Baglan, I think. I think Kunduz is in Baglan. Mm-hmm. And my, I was like to my uncle, because I gave him names. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is what it looks like. Can you see any of these companies there? He said, no. They were, they were not there. I know there's Mahbubas Promise, who's yeah. been delivering like food to them every day. Yeah. And there's Mothers of Afghanistan, who's actually getting people on the buses, giving them money so they can go back home. And then there's us. 
Right. So we know, we know that we're there. We see each other that we're there, but right. we're not seeing, we didn't see UNCHR unless they've actually just started doing everything now. Okay, okay. Yeah. And that, that you brought up a really just great two examples that you just, um, the two other charities that are working on the ground there. For someone that's listening, why start your own charity and not just join the bandwagon of another charity? Like Mabuba's Promise or Mothers of the Other Charity. Yeah, why why start your own and not why not just add to the another one? Why why that decision for you? I, I think I just wanted to do something of my own. Okay, okay, no, that, no, that's very hard. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have minded, but I, I just wanted to. Maybe some some people are doing things differently, and yeah. I think I have other dreams compared to other people would. Okay. So I think my dreams or my my part to the charity was taken differently compared to other people would. So for me, it's just, I was planning to go back this year, but I can't even go back. I was actually planning to be hand on hand with building what I needed to build and focus on like bringing more people, like more women out. Because now that they're saying only a woman can teach another woman. So now I have to focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like opening something that people like I would have like men come in and work for me, I'd rather have women come and work for me. Yeah. So they can still have skills, they can still come to somewhere like they can be safe at and then not have any issues. Wonderful. Inshallah. Thank you for that. So before I wrap up the interview, thank you so much for your time, Samia John. I really appreciate it. I've just got one last segment of the interview, and that's called the rapid fire questions. It's a rapid fire round where I just okay. ask you. A few questions, and the first answer is the right answer that comes from your back. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, first question is the hardest part about starting a charity? Trust of people. Trust, trusting people. What's the easiest part of starting a charity? Trust again. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, it's easy to trust sometimes, and it's harder to trust others. Is that what, what, what it is? So, so, if you don't have people's trust, you can't actually do anything with charity. Mm, okay. And if, I think at the beginning, that's what I was struggling, struggling with until I, I was like, okay, then I'm going to start funding these families myself for people to see what I'm actually doing. And ah. now I have so much trust of everyone. Mm, mashallah. Okay. Yeah. What do you believe that others think is crazy? Wanting to go back overseas. Even like if I could go like next year at the beginning. Mm, okay. Yeah, I would go. Fantastic. Where would you go if you were invisible? If I was invisible, I would actually go to Palmon. Yeah. <laughs> I would go, I would just go live there because okay. apparently it's not safe to go there. So that's where I would go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So are you into texting or talking? Which one? Texting. A high five to that. <laughs> I hate talking on the phone. I think I don't have enough talking over the phone because my uncle doesn't understand like how to speak yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, texting is for everyone else. I do not answer phones. I'm like, text me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And last question, what have you learned in this journey of starting a charity about yourself? That I could actually, I, I didn't think I could do it, that I actually am able to do whatever I want to do. Wow. Really? That, yeah. That's the lesson yeah. it's taught you, starting a charity? Yeah. And I, I and I think I actually, I whatever I used to make, I used to spend it. Like I was like shopaholic, like buying all these clothes, these bags and stuff. But now I'm like, I, I don't do that anymore. I'm telling you, I actually do not spend extra money on things wow. where I could actually send it overseas and like help with my sewing school. Nice. nice. And I, I feel so good about that. 
and so you should. And so thank you, Samia John, for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I was so nervous. But oh, no, no. <laughs> you did beautifully. You did beautifully. And like I said, I wanted you here because I wanted the situation in Afghanistan is just uh, exploded onto the scene. Your, yeah. What you do is so deeply needed. And for anyone who's listening, who thinks charity, who thinks like their heart strings are being pulled towards a direction, but don't know how to start that passion project of a charity, then I wanted you to come on to explain what you do. So others can, if they want to donate, can do so by learning about your process. And if anyone wants to start their own charity to yeah. take a look at your blueprint. And before we go, if someone wants to donate to um, the kids in Afghanistan, to your sewing school, to providing um, resources directly on the ground where there's no middle person, there's no admin cuts. How do we go about to donate? So we are doing everything through PayPal. I, I think it's easy globally. Mm -hmm. Anyone can donate through it. And for people in Australia, we've got our bank account details on the one of the posts, which I actually put up every single day, mm -hmm. every after every 24 hours, only because just to avoid paying that fee on PayPal account. And if there is an amount over like two grand, I would say they can send that straight to Afghanistan only because then that way they're not paying for another, like a huge amount for paper when they can just be paying like $15. Yeah. 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 Okay. So when you say send it straight to Afghanistan, who would they send it to straight to Afghanistan? Um, all the details are actually on my page. Oh, okay. The person that works with me, the money goes to them. Okay, so I'm going to put in the show notes, I'm going to put your IG page and I'm going to put the bank account and PayPal details so people who feel um, who feel compelled to want to be yeah. able to give a hand, they can do so, inshallah, through your account. So, Samia John. Thank God you so you. much for having me. Thank you. God guide you. May God protect your work. May God give you the vision that you have and may be a source of sadaqajaria, ongoing charity for you, your kids, and your parents, may God rest your father's soul on you. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. We have a nice day. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for your time. Thank you guys for your time. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave a review on iTunes. Let us know your thoughts on this particular episode. The show notes will have the Instagram page where um, Samia posts all her work and all her charitable work that people receive, the donations. And also if you're looking to contribute or to donate, then the show notes will also have the, um, the link of where you can do so. So thank you so much for your listening. Thank you for your attention. This has been episode 189 and we'll catch you next week on the Unboxing Gift Podcast. God bless.